We're live once again with the Crossroads Music Podcast. Uh, today's August 20th, 2020. And with me is my co-host, Eric. How are you? Pretty good, man. How about yourself? Good, good. So, uh, yeah, on this, on this podcast, we talk about music and uh, just random stuff, basically, surrounded by um, just blabbering. And, yeah, <laughs> we usually don't really talk about anything. Uh, yes. And Taylor's in chat. Hello, Taylor. What's going uh, on, Taylor? For all of you, all of you who've uh, been listening to us for for quite a bit now, just a quick announcement: we are on Spotify uh, and all other uh, podcast listening avenues. I don't even know what they call them. There's there's like things that we're on that I don't even <laughs> I've never heard of, like Overcast and I don't. Yeah, know. I've, I've never heard of that either. I use predominantly apple so i've got apple podcasts and we're on there as well which is awesome spotify i knew there was podcasts on spotify but uh yeah everything else i know outcast i heard of recently from uh mike and i was like i've never heard of that before (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then you were sending me all these names i'm like i don't know what they are yeah we're we're on basically every single podcast platform there is so if you just search we're taking over yeah if you search the crossroads music podcast we're basically everywhere yeah Um, next is going to be the cnn news channel (laughs) (laughs) they're just going to take over (laughs) that's when that's when the the tv the channel shuts down we'll probably shut it down if we ever go on that it's like all the all the ad sponsors will just like nope we're not supporting you guys anymore. we're pulling everything yeah we are canceling cnn <laughs> uh all right so uh i guess we should we should get this going uh mm-hmm. i guess how we normally start these shows is what we've been listening to for the past week uh eric if you wanna if you wanna go with that what have you been listening to so I haven't listened to much, um, no like full albums. I heard uh, the this song that's just taking news by storm. Uh, I don't know if you know where I'm going. With the Cardi this. B song. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Have you have you listened no, or no, no, read the no, lyrics no, to no, this song? Nope, 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 nope. I am not listening to that trash. There's no way. Oh, oh my no God. Oh my God, Kim, this is beyond trash. This is like, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's who, like, who is it? It's Cardi B and someone else. I have no idea who the other guy is or a girl. Megan Thee Stallion, um, that's who it is. So this song is pretty much a very graphic depiction of, you know, a sexual encounter, but on the female side. And it's uh, quite the... Uh, Quite the lyrics, <laughs> I have to say. Is it like but, at least witty? Do you do you know who Ben Shapiro is? Yes. Okay, it made it on his Ben Shapiro Daily Show podcast where he just <laughs> predominantly talks about po- politics. So, <laughs> <laughs> but why? Like, why? Why did he talk about it? Uh, well, because he was so like it's just taking the news by storm, right? Like. You got to listen to it. They, they there's a reference in the line where they where you use your nose like a credit card to swipe up and down the genital area <laughs> of the female. So use your nose. Yes. Very good. Uh, yeah, Megan the stallion is not a horse, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> the stallion. <laughs> 
It's Cardi B Road, Megan. Just okay, like, here's my problem with like, I don't know why people listen to that. It just doesn't make sense. Like, um, so here's the thing. I read the lyrics first because a friend of mine said, you got to check this out. I know you're a huge music fan and I want your, your opinion on this. Right. But you and know I said, the sure. reaction's going to be, it's garbage. Well, exactly. Well, I read the lyrics first. I read okay. the lyrics first. I typed in the lyrics and I was like, wow. Like I, I just had a vision in my head of what the song was going to sound like. I was actually thinking like a very ridiculous song, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, you know, when, like, this is an inside joke, everybody, but when I would do the Lord Farquaad on the guitar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I envisioned that ridiculous. <laughs> so I listened to the song and I was like, wow, this is pretty bad. <laughs> like if someone, if I owned a recording studio and someone came in and was like, Hey, I got this song. I want to record it. Okay, well, let's hear it. Get out of my studio. <laughs> I don't want my studio to be anywhere near that song. <laughs> I know. Frick, like, I don't know. This this is the problem with getting, like, this is why you get, you don't get non-musicians to, like, be musicians, right? Like, these, mm-hmm. I don't remember which one of these, but one of them's a stripper. It's, like, it's, it's. <laughs> Like purely the song is made to make money. Like that's uh, at the end of the day, that's what it is. Right. They're not looking for some sort of like, you know, they're not trying to fulfill some sort of musical need or anything. It's just purely an advertisement. So I don't know. I I can't, I can't go and listen to songs like that because like, (laughs) I can't even bother to like give them a click. Mm -hmm. It's just, I know it's a waste of my time. So there's no point. Yeah. Oh no, totally. Okay, so how many times did you listen to the song? Uh, once. <laughs> and I didn't even listen to it fully. But I was like, I can't do it anymore. I think I made it to the second chorus, and I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Wow. it's <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Making and I think money there was like one minute left in the song, and I was like, I don't care how it ends. Making it's money gonna... is great. That's why they produce music. Uh, no. It, I mean, if you want to make money, music is not what you should be doing. Yeah. I feel like out of all the art forms, music is like the least likely. It's probably the worst one to make money off of. Yeah. Because people just steal your shit all day. Go be a lawyer or, uh, <laughs> you know, or work, yeah. you know, invest. Go go to Wall Street. Yeah. Get a real <laughs> job, you bums. <laughs> um, okay. Anything else you've been listening to other than that? Uh, other than the, uh, the Battle of the Hell album we're reviewing, so... Yeah. That's all I've been. I've actually really enjoyed it. So, but we'll get back to that later. But I've had that a lot on repeat. So, oh, damn. Okay. Uh, let's see. I've been listening to not too much. Uh, Metallica's S and M two is coming out next week. They're releasing it next week. Uh, so uh, this would be the sequel to Metallica's first S and M album, which is Symphony and Metallica. So back in ninety eight. Uh, Metallica famously did a uh, full live album with an orchestra over two days. Um, so this would be like their follow-up. They've updated it slightly uh, with new songs because uh, from 98, they've had like three original albums, I think. Three mm-hmm. original albums. Um, and then uh, a new bass player because Jason Newstead's no longer in the band and it's now Rob Trujillo. Uh, How's he in the band, by the way? Rob Trujillo? 
Yeah. Oh my lord, he's a monster. He's an yeah, absolute he's... monster of a bass player. I mean, he meshes like, with the band well. Oh yeah, for sure. He nice. like. I mean, I I guess Rob Trujillo is famous for being uh, a session bassist, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because he's like he was in Ozzy Osbourne's band. Uh, he's in Suicidal Tendencies, uh, and he does a bunch of like recording stuff before that. Um, but Rob Trujillo, he is a freaking monster of a bassist. Like uh, nice. typical typical technique for bass players to use two fingers. Your uh, two. To strum the the bass. Does he use all four? Yeah, Trujillo uses all four. <laughs> wow. He uses all four. Uh, oh, there we go. Yeah. For the camera yeah. sake. He uses That's all what's going four on. Uh, when he needs to, so he can swap. So if he's like playing a traditional like blues, blues or jazz or something, he'll use two finger technique. Uh, for f- like for like a Iron Maiden gallop, he he use like three for triplets. And then if he needs to really do like some progressive shit, he'll use four fingers. Wow! It's like he's so versatile, and he's he also plays with a pick when he needs to. So if he needs a certain tone, he'll put, he's like so proficient with a pick also, wow. which is like really rare. Like it's hard to do like all these techniques, uh, but he has mm-hmm. them all like down pat. And um, yeah, I think in the band he just like meshes really well. I find these studio musicians a lot of them are are like kind of hidden. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. especially with that such that talent right yeah like so good um i high-fived him once which was pretty cool oh no way (laughs) yeah i was i was front row at he was playing a show uh with um uh with a bunch of his friends so not with metallica but like a a smaller band and i was in front Mm -hmm. row and uh he just like walked into the crowd crowd and was just like high-fiving everyone that was, wow, that was awesome. like a highlight of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, SNM two comes out next Saturday. Uh, there's like so many different editions. There's like a, like a live DVD. There's um, there's like a gold plated version of it. Like there's ridiculous uh, versions of it. But it sounds really good. Uh, they filmed the video uh, for it, a live concert video for it. So they've started releasing nice. stuff on YouTube. Uh, for those of you who want to check it out, but um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited for that because SNM One was actually a really good album. I mean, of course, all the hardcore like metalheads were like, "What the fuck is this? This is not real metal. Why are there violins in this?" But you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that'll be that's something I've been listening to. And then I guess uh, because we were listening to uh, Bad Out of Hell, uh, I sort of went into more of the like rock opera sort of genres. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Uh, I revisited Green Day's American Idiot, uh, which I okay. find is like is still pretty relevant today. It's still a good sounding record, uh, especially mm-hmm. songs like um, Jesus of Suburbia. Oh, I like my that one. Lord, that song's good. Yeah, that's probably my favorite yeah. on that album. That thing is like yeah. I, it's like nine minutes or something. It's like yeah, crazy that that thing is like written by a punk band. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, other than that, uh, I think that's it. Nothing new, technically. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, okay, so that's what we've been listening to. I still haven't updated our now discussing on the screen. So welcome we, everybody. Uh, we are super professional. We're here. still welcoming everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on. Let's move on to the our next segment. Uh, the today in history. 
so what we do here is today is August 20th, and what we do is uh, we go back in time and see what else uh, has happened on August 20th uh, related to music. Uh, so we can start off in uh, 1920. Wow. All the back in all the way back in 1920. I think this is the earliest we've gone. Yeah, this might be one of the first ones. Uh 1920 in Detroit, 9:50 a.m. and for all you kids out there, a.m. as in like, you know, the radio signal, a.m. fm. <laughs> Cuz I'm pretty sure people don't even know what fm radio, what is, am radio. Is that like the time? <laughs> Yeah, not 9.50 a.m. in the morning. 9.50 a.m., the radio frequency. Um, Which nobody uses anymore. Like, I, it goes to 1,200 people. <laughs> like, there's four numbers. There's no dot in between. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is no dot. I totally forgot. Uh, 9.50 a.m. starts broadcasting and uh, becomes the very first radio station in America. Wow. That's All pretty way, big. Yeah, 1920. Radio back That's, then is like a huge thing. I mean, I guess today it still is. Um, a lot of people still listen to it because people still sit in their cars and listen to radio. But I, I would assume that not a lot of people sitting at home now listen to the radio. No, and that was a big thing, right? That time, like you'd sit around and listen to like the relevant music, which would probably be jazz and uh, country. Yeah, country. Yeah, yeah. bebop, bebop, stuff like that. Yeah. And you'd be just listening with your family. Uh, I know they used to do uh, mystery stories too on the radio. Mm, yeah. You know, um, what's that movie with uh, Tom Cruise with the aliens? Uh, War, War of the Worlds. Yeah, they would they would uh, read that over the radio and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Uh, back in the old days. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty huge. Yeah. Okay. Skipping over twenty more, uh, twenty two years later, nineteen forty two. Sort of relevant to what we discussed last week uh on the podcast so last week we we said that uh it was the anniversary of isaac hayes's death well uh august 20th 1942 isaac hayes is born in covington tennessee wow yeah. he died hayes. now he's born <laughs> <laughs> yeah isaac hayes i mean i wish i, I sh one day i'm gonna go back and start listening to way more motown because like i know like surface level a lot of the stuff that happened and uh, a lot of the hit singles but that's one i guess uh genre slash time period that i'd want to like really do a, a deep dive at some point mm -hmm. it's uh it's pretty cool they have a lot of cool unique stuff there was a lot of one hit wonders from that kind of time era yeah so uh, six years later, 1948, Robert Plant is born in West Bromwich, England. Robert Plant. Robert Plant Led is born. Zeppelin. And then he goes on to steal a bunch of music from people. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that controversial? Have I already started this? <laughs> yes, you have. Robert Plant. A plagiarizer was, was born. born. <laughs> yeah, Robert Plant. A plagiarizer... It was born. <laughs> I mean, Robert Plant's super talented, but I mean, that's pretty fucked up shit they did on their first album. Yeah, uh, totally. A year later, uh, 1949, Phil Lennett of Thin Lizzy is also born in, in, in England. Thin Lizzy. Phil Lennett is awesome. I don't know if any of you listen to Thin Lizzy. Like, I always forget about the band, but every time, like, 
well, you know, you're listening to music and you're just like, oh yeah, Thin Lizzy is awesome. He is awesome. Yeah. And he uh, he's a bass player and singer, which is pretty rare. Yeah, I so. think I think with Thin Lizzy, uh, they never, in my mind at least, they never had a classic album, right? Mm-hmm. They've had hit singles and very like classic songs. Uh, yeah. But I don't think, I don't think they've had like a hit or like a masterpiece record. That's why I think mm. they sort of fall through the cracks at times. Yeah. Uh, they're very big in Ireland. <laughs> very big. And in fact, if you go to Dublin, they have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there. And uh, we went in and it was actually pretty neat. Like they predominantly focused on Irish bands, but Thin Lizzy was like a major thing. And uh, they had his report card there because he was terrible at school, apparently. Like absolutely I, terrible. I he he failed almost every single class except for I think music. No, how do you fail every single class? Like it was bad. Like I have a picture somewhere. I should send it to you. So next time we can pop it up on the How do you fail every for, single class? Oh, I know. But they had the actual like uh soundboard and equipment. Like they love Thin Lizzy out there. Which is funny, but they had the soundboard and equipment still that they used to. They got fried or something for their first album, something. So they, it's a, it's a historic relic now. Wow. Uh, all right, skipping over. 1965, Rolling Stone released their single "I Can't Get No Satisfaction" in the UK. That's, well, that's a pretty big song. Yeah, that's like a pretty classic song. That's. Yeah. I, I when it comes to the Rolling Stones, I think that is the the hallmark song for me at least yeah i would say sympathy of the devil Ooh, you would say sympathy i would say sympathy is the better song (laughs) but i can't get no satisfaction just that that keith richards riff is just like i can't get no satisfaction i think that's the most like iconic rolling stone song if you had to pick one yeah that's it's hard because now that I'm thinking about the Rolling Stones, like, you know, set list. Beast I, of Burden. Yeah. Oh. I would put Beast of Burden over it can't get no satisfaction. Uh, like, yeah, Beast I think of Burden, yeah. I, would, I would agree. Yeah. Like, I would put so many songs above satisfaction, but I think in terms of trademark. It's, yeah. I would say it's definitely in a top 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe top five <laughs> yeah yeah probably top five yeah um cool and on the same day 1965 krs-one is born in brooklyn new york krs-one uh honestly one day eric if you're ever in, i mean if musicians ever go back to touring whatever one day we need to go see krs-one live i've i've seen him live before He's like straight up Brooklyn rapper, one of the best who's ever done it. Honestly, he's such like he's so talented. But you have, <laughs> you should we should go because he's out of this world in terms of the amount of talent he has and like his rhyming skills. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Karis One is just like so good. I dig it. I'm in. One I'm day. in. You one got day. it. One day. One day. Uh, someone we cannot see live anymore. 1966, Daryl Abbott, a.k.a. Dimebag Daryl, guitarist of Pantera, is born in Ennis, Texas. Dimebag Daryl, famous for, uh, I mean, I guess famous for being the guitarist for Pantera, one of the biggest metal bands to come out of the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, but also because uh, he was shot to death on stage while performing uh, live. 
with uh, damage plan, which, uh, which is fucked up. That's that's a way to go. Like as a musician, right? So. Like usually it's an overdose. Yeah. And I remember hearing that. I was like, oh, he probably died of an overdose, right? Because of his nickname <laughs> and everything like that, right? But then it's like, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was shot on stage. Some like crazy yeah. person ran up on stage and shot him. And what year was that? When he died? It's got to be early 2000s, I think. Yeah, early 2000s, yeah. I can't remember, but he was pretty he was pretty good. I was when, when I, I think I remember when I heard the news. I heard the news and I was playing Halo 1 at the time. <laughs> That's how far away wow. far back it was. Yeah. That's pretty good. Actually, I, I remember reading that too and I was like, he was shot like on stage live. Yeah. That's so <laughs> Like as a band, like this is going to be, we're getting into a bit of morbid here, but like as a band you're playing, you're like, what the holy fuck? Yeah. <laughs> right. Because you got to like, everything's so loud too. Right. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, that's like, that's shitty. Yeah. Uh, Shit. next year, Dolby labs pioneers a method of noise reduction that makes home recording on blank cassettes possible. That was 1967 cassette players yeah that was like that's pretty big like yeah tape trading back in like 70s 80s that was like a huge market that's that's a lot a lot of bands got famous based off of just like trading tapes oh yeah just recording stuff yeah the process of doing it too Mm -hmm. was a pain like especially when you wanted to make a like you know like a playlist cassette Right, you like a song would come on the radio, and you're like, "Oh, record!" <laughs> and you then hopefully... kids these days don't appreciate the technology we have now. Yeah, uh, and then and then you stop it, right? But always at the beginning of the song, it wasn't like, yeah. "Here's the song." It was always just like, "And now for this band, right?" Or or you would cut off a bit of the yeah, a bit of the intro. Yeah. <laughs> right. Imagine smoke on the water instead of da da. Oh my da. god. If you cut out the whole intro to Smoke on the Water, what is that song then? (laughs) Just started that. We all came out of (laughs) Yeah, but just imagine like Crazy Train without that intro. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just started. What's the point? What's the point of listening to the song at that point? I know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um,. Okay, moving uh, moving along. Uh, 1970, uh, famous, prolific, uh, the great prophet Fred Durst is born in Gastonia, North Carolina. Fred Durst, famous for being the uh, lead rapper. I don't want to say vocalist. I don't want to say he's a singer. Fred Durst, the rapper for Limp Biscuit, is born in North Carolina in 1970. Because... <laughs> As much as I think Limp Bizkit has like super talented musicians in there, Fred Durst is like the weakest link in that band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you there. I'm not a fan of Limp Bizkit, but yeah. Yeah. Like they have like Wes Borland on guitar. That guy's a freaking monster. He's really good. Yeah. yeah he's he's definitely monster. good. He's appeared in many. Uh, uh, guitar player magazines like his stuff like his technique and style mm-hmm. he he played like 
Limp Bizkit back in the, I guess, late 90s, early 2000s were like the biggest band in the world at, at a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. And their song, uh, Nookie, that was like gold. Like it sold so many like singles and sold so many records based on the, the strength of that single. That song, mm-hmm. West Borland used a four-string guitar on. Wow. Like he, d- he made a four-string guitar and that's how, that's what's used on that song. Which is, is it like, like a ukulele then, I guess, or no full size guitar? It's just full size guitar, yeah, four huh? strings. Yeah. Wow. So like, just imagine like this pop song on the radio that's using weird instruments <laughs> like that. It doesn't happen anymore. No, uh, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, all right, 1979. Bob Dylan, who is now a uh, Christian convert, releases his faith-driven album Slow Train Coming. For me, this has always been weird when Bob Dylan had like three records as a Christian, I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. I think those records are really good. When, when I go back and listen to those albums, I'm like, Oh, this is actually like pretty good. And there's a lot of gospel Mm -hmm. influences in there. Uh, But Bob Dylan to me is not, he, he's (laughs) never been a voice for, I guess, religion. He's always been more of a political voice, uh, social change voice. Uh, mm-hmm. but to associate with him re- with religion is sort of a stretch for me. But then again, he's Bob Dylan. So like he can say anything he wants, I guess. That's true. He can. That's so crazy. I didn't know that he had, he was very religious at one point. Yeah. Three albums. So he, uh, I think in mid seventies, somewhere in the mid seventies, uh, okay. after he goes electric, he like goes hardcore Christian. He like wow. goes really hardcore Christian and does three records uh, that are Christian influenced. Hmm. Uh, and then afterwards he goes back just to his fo- folk roots and everything uh, after that. But he never really denounces like his Christian, his Christian beliefs. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. But on those three records, he really pushes hard on it. But after that, hmm. just no reference to it whatsoever. I'll have to check that out. I've never actually listened to a full bob dylan album i've listened to many bob dylan songs like Mm. a huge catalog but never never sat down and listened to the the album so i don't know which ones are on which which album or what it comes because i just even remember like the song lay lady lay the first thing that come come to my head right it's obviously about taking a woman to bed right so that doesn't seem very christian (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah if you're if you're gonna Deep dive into Dylan. I mean, if you want to start with the best, it's uh, Blonde on Blonde, his double album. That's like okay. his hallmark album. And then um, uh, the Highway album. I forget what it's called, though. Revisiting Highway something. There's a number mm-hmm. there. Uh, those would be my two that I would go with. Cool. Um, okay, here's uh, 1983. Probably not really historically significant, but just a sort of a, a fun fact. Uh, there's a band called Taco. Uh <laughs> in existence at that time uh taco's Ah. cover of the irving berlin who's a songwriter song uh putting on the ritz reaches number nine on the hot 100 this makes irving berlin the oldest living songwriter to ever land a top 10 he is age 95 putting on the ritz that sounds so familiar yeah i think that's like a pretty popular like the macarena type of song (laughs) okay I feel like, but yeah, uh, oldest person ever, uh, oldest living songwriter ever to land a top 10 at the age of 95. 
Wow. Imagine being 95 and getting a top 10 single. <laughs> I don't. I feel like you wouldn't even realize what that is because you're so old. Well, exactly. And then you wouldn't even be able to perform it live, probably. <laughs> that would suck. Where am I? <laughs> Are uh, we recording the song? Is this the studio? No, you've already recorded the song. You need to go out and play it. Yeah, you can't even like re re like revamp your career at that point. You're just too old. Yeah. Can't like, well, this is all I got. You like it? You like it? <laughs> Uh, all right. Four years later, Lindsey Buckingham leaves Fleetwood Mac after refusing to tour behind its latest album, Tango in the Night. This would be the last album with the classic lineup for uh, Fleetwood Mac. Hmm. Yep. Fleetwood Mac is uh, one of those bands that never just got it together. They like they have classic they have... albums, classic songs, but as a band, dysfunctional. They had a very rough go. Yeah. Like with everybody. I can't believe they even like got that far. <laughs> I feel like if they stuck together, they would have been probably as big as, you know, like you're probably going to get, you're probably going to criticize a queen or something. No, I could see that. I could see that. Cause they have good songs and they, and they play well together, but yeah. just being together it's just another story <laughs> yeah you know socially these people should not be in the same room together yeah no they definitely should <laughs> uh next year 1988 at the monster rock festival in castle donnington england two fans are killed during a set by guns and roses uh axel rose famously says you fuckers stop killing each other <laughs> <laughs> well, of course he does <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know at, at concerts, it's, it's tough, right? Like you want to go, but sometimes it gets way too rough in like open yeah. pits and stuff. Sometimes it's like really dangerous to go. in if you're not, I if feel you're not like prepared. You, yeah, I feel like you would know which ones to avoid. Yeah. Guns, you know, like the wall of death, the, the wall of death. The wall, you know, of, like, the wall of death at like a proper <laughs> metal concert is safe. It's when you do a wall of death with like my can my chemical romance fans, that's when people yeah. die. Because you have all <laughs> these like dumbass kids who don't know what mm -hmm. they're doing and decide to drop kick people in a wall of death. Oh yeah. They're so dumb. <laughs> There's rules you must abide by in the mosh. <laughs> like if yeah. you don't oh, people totally. are gonna die <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, all right skipping ahead uh two years 1990 prince releases graffiti bridge his uh his album um prince super talented but i feel like beyond purple rain and maybe uh what's that other album 1999 mm -hmm. i don't really care for a lot of his albums I like a lot of his singles, a lot, a lot of his songs, but in terms of his albums, I'm not like a super fan. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to agree with you there. Purple Rain is, is well, I think would could go down as being a top album. Mm, yep, for sure, right? And he's a talented guy, yeah. really, really talented. But, but yeah, I've uh, same thing. I've listened to Purple Rain. I've listened to 1999, but never. Never actually list like singles here and there on the other ones. So yeah. 
Uh, okay, Eric, here's a, here's a fact that's going to make us, uh, make you feel really old, myself included. Oh. Uh, 1992, Demi Lovato is born in Albuquerque, New, York, New Mexico. Wow. <laughs> 1992. And then later we'll develop a big drug habit. <laughs> I can't. That's number two. You can't joke about things like that. Too. Is that controversial? Yeah, that was controversial. She was born in 1992. Demi Lovato was born in 1992, and eventually, which she will develop a drug habit. <laughs> will eventually develop a drug habit. It's true. It's so true. Because it's true, like, but you can't joke about that. Well, so didn't she? Didn't she start off on the Disney Channel? They probably all did, yeah. I, I yeah, no and then and then she made it big. Like she went off on her own, and I know she did a song with Brad Paisley, which was actually pretty good. I actually didn't mind that one. Mm. Uh, so she sang some country, but uh, she's got a, actually like a quite a good rocker voice. Yeah, she has a very good rocker voice. Like I was surprised. I remember seeing her at some sort of award show, mm-hmm. and she came out and started. It was a. I can't remember what song she did, but it was a classic rock song, and it was actually pretty, pretty well done. Mm-hmm. She's a really good singer, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's over the line, Eric. You can't, you can't joke. <laughs> 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 moving, uh, moving on before we get canceled. Um, on that exact same uh, day in year 1992, a U.S. doctor filed a 35 million dollar lawsuit against the Southwest Bell phone company. Why is this important is because he alleged that his wife died because he could not reach 911 due to all the lines being jammed by demand for Garth Brooks concert tickets. So Garth Brooks, I guess, at the time uh, was going on tour, released all his tickets. So back in the day, people had to call someone to buy tickets, uh, but it jammed up all the phone lines. So this guy couldn't uh, call 911. <laughs> You know, it's funny because people go crazy in the country world over Garth Brooks. And honestly, like he's he has a few good songs, but he's not not that special. I don't think. Isn't Garth Brooks the one who's like no longer participating in uh best country performer, entertainer mm-hmm. in at the CMA now? <laughs> yeah. He's so he has a Netflix special. And I tried watching it and he's a weird guy. (laughs) He's a very weird guy. I mean, a guy who has an alter ego as an emo is probably pretty weird. Yeah. I didn't know that, but, but yeah, I was watching this and I was like, he's like, sometimes I just go out into the woods (laughs) and just think I'm like, okay. (laughs) It was just like, oh man. Super talented guy. Like he's he can play anything. And yeah. when he first started off, he had an interesting story because he went to um, he, he would just cover songs and he would go into the bars and then he would be like, "What song should I play next?" And someone would sing a say a song, and he would he would actually know how to play it. Huh. And, and it was all yeah, it was a very very good memory. So he was a genius that way. But uh, but you know when it came to his music, I was never really not really a fan. Mm. So. All right, moving along uh, across the pond, 
because uh, uh, we're going over to England. 1995, Blur's Country House and Oasis's Roll With It go head-to-head at the height of the Britpop scene. Uh, Blur's Country House eventually wins and secures the number one spot on the UK charts. Wow, that must have been pretty like kicking the nads for the Gallagher brothers. Yeah, but for, <laughs> I don't know why they chose "Roll with It" as their as their like this is the best song off of uh, what's the st- what's the story Morning Glory like mm-hmm. "Roll with It" is track two on that record if I remember correctly, and it's not even like it's not Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even close to Wonderwall. So like. Yeah. I feel like they should have started with Wonderwall, not roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, yeah, that was a mistake. That's a poor choice as you're, <laughs> if you're going to go to battle with another band and try to secure number one. Mm, don't go with the song that no one knows like 30 years later. <laughs> well, the Gallagher brothers probably still, ah, we're still number one. <laughs> 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 Knowing them, you know, yeah. they would, they would be the guys that would like, if, if there was ever like announced publicly on television, they would be the guys that walk up like did the Kanye West and walk oh, up yeah. and just take the mic and be like, no, we're the best band ever. <laughs> and then just drop the mic and leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Here's a, here's another weird one. 2004, a man from, uh, and this is the name of the city, Stoke on Trent, England. Uh, named Brian Adams as, quote-unquote, the other man in his divorce papers after years spent trying to cope with his wife's obsession with the singer. Rob Tinsley said he had to live with a six-foot cutout of Adams, which stood at the foot of the bed and posters all over their bedroom walls. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's why why you never date your fans, because, like, they're freaking crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I could, I could see that. And this guy had to live with a <laughs> six-foot cutout of Brian Adams. <laughs> <laughs> that would be actually quite humorous, like just to be on the outside if you were a yeah. friend. Yeah. If just be friend. like, so wait a minute. <laughs> so when you guys sleep, there is a cutout. I don't know why. Watching you. <laughs> why, why Brian Adams? Of all the people in the world, Brian Adams... Yeah. Why would you have an ass- obsession over Brian Adams? Summer of 69, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or the Robin Hood song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Robin Hood song. <laughs> um, all right, let's skip uh, almost, actually more than a decade. 2016, uh, the Tragically Hip play their final sellout show in Kingston, Ontario, uh, which is oh. their final bid goodbye to uh, Gord Downey. That was very sad, man. Did you did you try to get tickets for that? I did. Did were, yeah. how how difficult was it? Uh, as soon as I heard the news, yeah. I told Julia we're getting tickets. You, I don't care what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Like I will call in sick. Like I don't care. They're and we saw their first show in Victoria. Oh, okay. So the starting of their tour. Yeah. And it was quite heavy-hearted like i i broke down in tears especially because he he sang long time running i don't know if you're familiar with the song and the song is not in correlation to what's going on obviously because it was written a long time ago and it's about uh losing a girl kind of thing but 
when he was singing the song, there's a point where he looked at the audience and he was just, and he sings the line. It's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he kind of just, he, he kind of stopped and realized like, Oh shit. And then everybody around us was just bawling, like <laughs> including ourselves. It was pretty like, it was pretty heavy hearted and, and watching it live on TV. Like it was a different, obviously atmosphere, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was sad because it's like final show, but they did three sets. Damn. Three sets. They did their uh, first one, their encore, which was a second full set. <laughs> and then they came out and did like three more songs. Wow. I mean, so, it's your farewell tour. You can do whatever you want, right? Yeah. And wow. actually, um, I've watched the documentary of the actual like last tour. Mm-hmm. On, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I recommend watching it. It was actually kind of neat. So uh, when he went to his doctor, he found out, he's like, yeah, you can't, like, you may have a year left or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, I'm going on tour. We're going to do a final farewell tour for the album, but we're going to predominantly play our hits. And his doctor's like, no, you can't, you can't do this. Like, this is, you're crazy. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm doing it. So not only did he do that, because then there was that whole Ticketmaster thing where everybody was like all these scalpers were buying the tickets. So they extended more shows because he's like, that's not fair. So many of the major cities, they played like two or three nights in a row. Right. Oh, wow. I didn't and, that. They, and they learned 90% of their whole catalog. Like, so he went to the band and he was like, these are all the songs we're playing. And they're like, what? Like, I don't even remember <laughs> learning to play this song. Like, this is a long time ago, right? Yeah. So not only that, they're learning all these songs, right? Like, it must have been, like, hundreds. Yeah. Right? And then, like, obviously he had things to help him, but the band really stepped up because that's a lot of songs to learn. Yeah. And and it's just, I think they did the tour in a full month or a month and a bit yeah, or I something. Yeah, I think it was a month, yeah. Yeah, so... That's a lot for the band to like remember. That's but for Too, Gore, right? that's a lot of like physical yeah. strain for a guy who's going through cancer to go on tour. That's a lot. Oh yeah. That's a lot. And and it's actually interesting cuz when uh Julie and I first started dating, we she had no idea who the Tragically Hip were. Mm. I'm like, you got to listen to the Tragically Hip. So when we went on tour or we went to see this show, he wasn't as energetic as he usually is, but which is understandable, right? Like Nobody gave him credit for that. He was still trying. Like, he did the weird stuff, came on with sock, like a sock scarf, right? Like, he's he's yeah. got that entertainer personality, and he still had it. And then I showed her um, that night in Toronto, uh, their live uh, DVD, mm-hmm. and he was just going, like, nuts and jumping off the walls. And I was like, this, this is what Gordon Downey, you know, prime. was when he was yeah, in his prime, right? So... But yeah, that was a heavy-hearted, heavy-hearted moment. I think yeah. for all Canadians. Yeah, but I'm glad like they were able to do do that, like a farewell tour yeah. of that scale. I I think that's like the appropriate send-off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it was, it was awesome, and I think it was the number one watch thing in Canada. Yeah, I think everyone watched it except for me. <laughs> <laughs> except for you <laughs> i think i was the only one who didn't watch it it's oh. like mm, <laughs> um <laughs> yeah taylor your mom thought 
he was faking it to sell tickets. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> that's something I feel like, like I feel like Noel Gallagher would do that. Yeah, I could totally see him doing that. Hundred percent. Be like, well, you had fun at the concert, didn't you? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Uh, 2018, the uh, RIAA certifies the Eagles their greatest hits, 1971 to 1975, uh, at 38 million units sold, making it the best-selling album of all time in America. Uh, even better than Michael Jackson's Thriller. Uh, however, uh, Thriller is still the best-selling album worldwide. But in the U.S., The Eagles, their greatest hits, uh, is the number one-selling album, which to that's, me doesn't make sense. The that's Eagles. Pretty, if you look at it, like I like Joe Walsh. I think Joe Walsh is awesome. But regardless, in order to get that, your, your greatest hits, I wouldn't be proud of that. I'd be like, really? <laughs> Really, you, you had to get our greatest hits, which is we didn't do any work on. They just collectively grabbed the hits yeah. from each album, put them together, and here you go. Yeah. Like that's, I don't know, that to me is like, that doesn't deserve <laughs> a, an award, right? I didn't, yeah. <laughs> just, just the concept of the Eagles being like one of those top selling bands of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Like, who the heck's going out and buying the greatest hits by the Eagles? There can't be. I, I get Hotel California is played everywhere, but yeah, it doesn't make people buy a freaking album just because of that one song. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> I don't know. To me, it's mind-boggling that it sold this many. <laughs> greatest hits are for getting into like. If I was like, yes. If you want to listen to this band, you know, check out their greatest hits. Oh, I really liked it. It's good. I'm going to go look at the albums now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, and also if you're not like a super, like if you're not, you know the band and you like certain songs, but it's not really like your thing, uh, yeah. then that's what a greatest hits is, is good for. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, the Eagles. I know. <laughs> All right. Anyways, that was August 20th uh, wow. today in history. That was quite a lot. Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, okay. So uh, we are now uh, done with that. Uh, there is no news, so we can skip that. <laughs> There's absolutely no <laughs> use in music news. So we'll, we'll skip that today. Uh, but what we want to do is move on to uh, our album review. So mm-hmm. last week we decided or announced that we were going to be listening to um, this album right here on the screen, Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf. Uh, this would be Bad Out of Hell 1. Um, so we, we took about a week and a few days listening to this album. Um, so Eric, your first thoughts, uh, where did you listen to it? How did you listen to it? First time, second time, et cetera, et cetera. So I knew most of the songs actually on the album. Um, cause I like meatloaf. I think he's, a, he's awesome and he's a musical genius. Uh, and I wanted to listen to this properly. So, uh, you know, it was a busy night shift and I was headed on the car radio and I, I just listened to the album i didn't do anything i was just driving around or whatever or 
you know, just aimlessly cleaning up in the house. And this album's awesome. I think this album is great. This is a rock opera album. Like this, this would be a perfect musical, which I think they made later. Yeah, like they have a pretty Mervish, later. Yeah, they have a Mervish production like ten mm-hmm. years ago or so. But it was cool to see because I know he kind of wanted to create like his own like world, mm-hmm. almost. So it's like it's own. Like a lot of people who don't know who Meatloaf is, usually when I say, "Have you seen Rock or Hor- Rocky Horror Picture Show?" And they're like, "Yeah," I'm like, "That's pretty much Meatloaf, <laughs> right?" <laughs> That's true. Yeah, very theatrical. Yeah, theatrical performance. Uh, the musicality in the songs, I think, are just pretty, like, pretty top notch, right? And it's not like a typical song. Like, don't go in there thinking there's going to be verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's going to be intro, you know, prelude one, <laughs> you know, chorus. Yeah, Battle of Hell doesn't get into the lyrics like until two minutes in or something. It's insane. Yeah. It's a nine minute song. <laughs> yeah. Like Battle of Hell clocks in at nine minutes and 51 seconds. Uh, most of these songs, the shortest song on this album is all revved up with no place to go. And that's four minutes and 19 mm-hmm. seconds. That's the shortest song. There's, and that's that's the one at the end of the song where it kind of they go with kind of double time, yeah, at the end, which I think is awesome. <laughs> so like, yeah, this is an experience. Yeah. You need to listen to this album and and get the experience from it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then the two closing tracks, "Paradise by the Dashboard Light" and "For Crying Out Loud," those clock in at eight twenty eight and eight forty eight. Mm-hmm. So like these these are not three minute radio hit singles. They no. They sort of they sound poppy and they're very catchy, but these things are monstrous songs in terms of yeah. Like, what um, I love about the songs too is that because they're lengthy, he does a really good job of just keeping you intrigued. So it's not just your standard like it's not just the song stretched out to eight minutes. It's like you're listening to a chorus, but there's different chord changes from chorus one. And then his even melody line of singing it is is different. So I, I really like how he how he he does this. But he did this album with uh, Jim. Yep, Jim Steinman. Yeah, Jim Steinman too, who's who's big into theatrical productions and stuff like that as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, let me let me go into the quick uh, I guess preamble about this album. Um, so basic history: Bad of Hell is the uh, debut studio album by American rock singer Meatloaf. Uh, and it is his first collaboration with composer Jim Steinman. Uh, the album was released on October 21st, 1977 on Cleveland International uh, slash Epic Records. Uh, Bad Out of Hell's musical style is influenced by Steinman's appreciation of Richard Wagner. Um, for those of you uh, not familiar with like classical works, uh, uh, what is it? Flay the Valkyrie would be like the big song by Richard Wagner. Uh, Phil Spector, Bruce Springsteen, and The Who, which I feel like is pretty appropriate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You've got like a really dark classical composer, Phil Spector with his wall of sound, Bruce Springsteen with that uh, storytelling aspect, and The Who is just like big sounding rock band. Well, that totally makes sense. Like even Bad Out of Hell, like yeah. I think of Bob O'Reilly. Yes. Yeah. Right. Bob O'Reilly. Yeah. That would fit perfectly on this album, I feel like. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. 
Um, Bad Out of Hell is the first part of a trilogy of albums. Uh, the subsequent albums were called Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, and uh, Bad Out of Hell 3, The Monster is Loose. Uh, this particular album took two and a half years before it was picked up by any record label as they got rejected over and over again. Uh, and CBS executive Clive Davis, famous for like all like all the pop stars in the 80s uh, and 90s, Clive Davis was pretty much uh, behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was quoted, uh, once he, he heard the record, he was quoted saying to Meatloaf and Jim, uh, do you know how to write a song? Do you know anything <laughs> about writing? If you're going to write for records, it goes like this. And he's talking about uh, structure of songs. A, B, C, B, C, C. I don't know what you're doing. You're doing A, D, F, G, B, D, C. You don't know how to write a song. Have, have you ever listened to pop music? Have you ever heard any rock and roll music? You should go downstairs when you leave here and buy some rock and roll records. <laughs> uh. Uh, which, I mean, I, I sort of agree with, like, not the sentiment of it, but this record is not in like an ABC, BC, BC no. type of record. This is like, it goes here, it goes there. It goes everywhere. There's so many parts that some of them don't even repeat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Eventually, uh, Battle of Hell was released by Cleveland International Records in October 1977. Uh, however, still at Cleveland International Records parent label Epic Records, everyone hated it. <laughs> Due to lack of record label support, when the record was released, there was almost no buzz. Uh, but one night in Toronto, Meatloaf played at the Elma Combo. We've wow. played there. I know. <laughs> That's crazy. The upstairs or the downstairs? Uh, the downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Meatloaf played at the Elma Combo in Toronto, and he caused a riot. Uh, that caused all the press in town um, to, to go talk to him give him free publicity uh and then suddenly he had a hardcore following in toronto and that was the initial spark that threw bad out of hell into the spotlight uh they immediately pressed to disc meatloaf live at the elma combo and was distributed to stations throughout north america so really our city is uh, toronto is uh is responsible for meatloaf <laughs> wow that's crazy started a riot yeah hey wow. <laughs> Uh, Bad Out of Hell still sells about 200,000 copies per year uh, and has sold an estimated 43 million copies worldwide, including 14 million in the United States uh, and over 1.7 million albums in Australia, making it the best-selling album in Australia. And with 43 million worldwide, that makes it one of the top-selling records of all time. Uh, It Mm. has stayed on the UK album charts for 522 weeks making it the UK's third longest charting studio album right behind Fleetwood Mac's uh, Rumors and Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon. That's pretty good company. Uh, And the album is ranked 343 on Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. Wow. So this album is not, like, it has a lot of history to it. It's not just like a jokey like you know fun album to listen to there's actually a lot of history mm-hmm. in this one a lot of- yeah and and i think you hit the nail on the head there like it's not this isn't your standard pop album right or, or rock and roll album so if you don't like this music you're just not gonna like you're just not gonna like this album like don't listen to it but uh 
if you like, I would say if you like musicals, you would probably like the album. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. If you're because into musicals, it's, yeah, for sure. Because mm-hmm. it's got enough, because I find those songs, like I'm not a fan of musicals per se. I, I don't mind listening to the music. That's probably the, the only part, but I like I'll listen to, like I'll go watch one, but, but I mean, as a musician, I appreciate it when it sounds, it's not the typical cookie cutter song, right? Yeah, this one, I mean, I could see like backup dancers and choreographed like hand movements mm-hmm. throughout this whole thing. A lot this, of, a lot of backup singers. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going for, for this, for this album. Um, yeah. but yeah, well, for instance, one of the songs here, I think it's the second song on the album. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Right. It starts off. It almost sounds very cultish. Right. Because it's a male and a female speaking in there. It's like almost like they're offering a sacrifice to this wolf, like to the red wolf. And then all of a sudden it goes into like a poppy kind of rock tune. And you're like, whoa, didn't didn't expect that to happen. (laughs) It's crazy that an album like this is made and can sell that many records because to me this is more of like a niche sort of sound Mm -hmm. uh it's not i don't think anyone's gonna go into this album and be like oh this is changing my life like there's such deep meaning in this this is just a fun record um yeah but it's not mindless it's a very well thought out record uh well composed well recorded well performed um but to sell that many records of an album that is pretty unorthodox, I would say is pretty impressive. I I could see people going into the record store, looking at this album and being like, this is right out my alley. Right. Cause look at the album cover, right? It looks like a rock or a metal album. Yeah. So I can see people coming home and sitting back and they're right, like, so let's listen to this. And then bat of the hell starts. And it's like that raging piano. So at the good. beginning like yep. it was so good but then they're like wait a minute <laughs> this isn't a rocker like or or metal album this is, sounds like opera-ish or yeah whatever but they did a good job I, like i could see that both of them wanting to make a musical type album mm-hmm. and i think they did a well job yeah. or, or a good job not a well job jesus <laughs> <laughs> All right, final ratings. What what do you give this album out of? Well, uh, you choose what your ranking system is gonna be. I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. Oh, pretty good. Eight out of ten. Yeah, ten. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm probably gonna give it. Um, yeah, I'll give it a seven or seven point five around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause like I I like the album. I can't see myself listening to this all the time. Like, I'm in the mood to listen to it because we had to listen to it for the week and not. I'm like, oh yeah, this this is great. But I I think it will phase out and then yeah. I'll probably come back to it maybe next year or something. Yeah, this is a record that's just fun to listen to. It's not. Mm. I wouldn't call it essential listening. No. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't have a deep meaning to it. You're not gonna get too much out of it other than just entertainment value. Um, yeah. And then if you're like a musician's musician, um, you'll still find this album really entertaining because there's a lot going on in terms of arrangement. Oh, yeah. <sighs> okay, so that's that was Bad Out of Hell by, by Meatloaf. Uh, so let's see. Oh, Next by one. the way, do you know why they called him Meatloaf? Oh, go for it. You can tell the story. 
It's uh, because in school, his football coach called him Meatloaf because he was fat. (laughs) (laughs) So they uh, called him Meatloaf. But that's kind of cool that he embraced the nickname, though. Well, he never never got skinny, so. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. Meatloaf, to me, man, Meatloaf is not a good name. No. No, it's a fun name, right? Like, yeah, like for fun album and fun music and stuff. But Meatloaf is not the name that I would choose to go with. No, as my stage Definitely persona. Not. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> well, it's funny because if you type in Meatloaf as one word on your computer, it will just pop up the actual food, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, anyways, that was Battle of the Hell, Meatloaf, great album, go listen to it if you haven't already. Um, but for next week, what we're going to be listening to is, uh, I would say a pretty important record, uh, in all, Mm -hmm. in all, uh, historical sense. Uh, we are going to be listening to London Calling by The Clash. London calling at the edge of town. (laughs) I mean, like, between The Clash and The Sex Pistols, like, these are the two most important punk bands of all time. Like, without Mm. The Clash, you're not, you're not getting the Ramones. You're not getting, you're not getting Green Day or Blink-182. Like, all these punk bands derive from uh, The Clash and The Sex Pistols. And, and oh, London yeah. Calling is just one of those magic albums that uh, they released. So for all those of you who want to follow along, uh, this is the album we will be listening to for next week. Nice. I can't wait. I actually like The Clash, so. Uh, okay, cool. So let us, uh, let's start wrapping up here because we're, we're nearing, we're, we're almost past the one hour mark. Uh, so what we typically wrap up on is uh, quote of the week presented by Anthony Kiedis. Uh, so this week's lyrics are, uh, you took a town by storm. The mess you made was nominated. Oh, I do. Oh, I do you now put away your welcome. Soon you'll find you're overstated. Hey, now, every time I lose altitude. <laughs> so divine. And I'll not elevate it. Fortune faded. There you go. Yes. I was listening to the the thing. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You might have been But yeah, fortune faded. You're getting all these signs. I I haven't gotten one. I didn't get one. Oh, yeah. Which one was it? I forget. All around. No, it was the aeroplane. Aeroplane. Aeroplane was the one I messed up on. I but. don't know how you get these. Like, these lyrics are nonsense. <laughs> they could be copy and pasted into other songs, and, like, I would never <laughs> I would never notice. Uh. Um, okay. You took a town by storm. The mess you made was nominated. <sighs> nope. Don't know what that means. I don't know what he means by the mess you made was nominated. Nominated for what? Oh, it, I think... Uh, I think he's talking about somebody, like, again, I don't remember what the song's about. I actually kind of think, so somebody comes into the town and just, or like maybe his old hometown and just makes a mess of it again, right? It's just like you left and everything was good and then you came back and it was just gone to shit again. Um, and the mess you made was nominated. 
Uh, oh, I do you. I don't know what that means. Uh, now put away your welcome. Soon you'll find it's overstayed. You've overstayed it. Yeah, so he's obviously talking about somebody coming in and saying, hey, everything was good when you left. Now you're coming back and it, everything's gone to shit again. <laughs> you're overstayed your welcome. Please leave. <laughs> I, I, I can accept that. I can accept that explanation yeah. of his gibberish. That at least <laughs> makes somewhat sense. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the first... The first one of these that I've actually given a logical answer. <laughs> Lisa's not, oh, he's just on drugs. Like, that's yeah. pretty much like every single time. Uh, it's just about <laughs> drugs and being on drugs. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, okay. So that was the quote of the week presented by Anthony Kiedis. And let us uh, review what we've uh, said this week. That was controversial. So two I things. feel like I say the ones that are offside. <laughs> Robert Plant's a plagiarizer was born. Uh, that was said by me uh, <laughs> when we're going through the the history today in history. Uh, and then um, <laughs> Eric decided to say something very offensive and joke about things he shouldn't be joking about. But Demi Lovato was born in 1992 and will eventually develop a drug habit. And and then he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna keep it there i don't want to say anything to dig my hole deeper so. uh okay um cool so yeah that was that was basically the the crossroads um oh hold on i still have the clash on the screen uh yeah so that was basically the crossroads music podcast uh we still don't have an outro so you know i mean we're still we still have to think about how to make this more professional at some point <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, just just to do some housekeeping, um, we will be back here uh, next Thursday. We're sticking with our Thursday schedule for the next next little bit. Uh, so uh, come back next week, uh, same time, same place, 10 p.m. EST. That is 7 p.m. What's your time zone? Pacific Standard Pacific Time. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, <laughs> I never. I can never remember that. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll be back here talking about more shit about music and uh, talking about uh, The Clash's London Calling. Uh, and eventually these podcasts will be uploaded by the magic wizards of the clouds. They will uh, upload our podcast to podcast apps. I'll yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> podcast apps all around the world. You can yeah. access it through whatever magic. Even is. in Uzbekistan, you can. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I'm sure it is. I I have no idea where the these podcasts are being sent to. It's just <laughs> it just magically gets there. I don't know. Uh, and then uh, if you're not interested in our podcast and you think we're complete shit, uh, we also have and Taylor donate to us, <laughs> donate to us so we can make it better. <laughs> yeah, we need the funding to make it better. Yeah, that's actually a good strategy. Uh, but if you don't care about us uh, on this channel, Taylor also um, sings and performs uh, cover songs and originals and takes requests from uh, viewers and chat. Uh, we are currently in the works of redoing the schedule for her. Uh, so just keep, uh, keep uh, your eyes on this channel. Uh, we will announce what the new schedule might look like. Probably we'll do something on Sunday, but I think the time is sort of up in the air. Uh, nice. Well, if it is, I'll be able to watch it this time. 
it's been a while since I've watched it. So there you go. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, we'll be back here same time, same place next Thursday. Um, and uh, I need to think of a new intro. What should we? How should we? How should we close this thing? Da 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 da. da, da. da, da. <laughs>